today we're going to continue on in our series called Shadows of the Savior. We have looked in our time together at several different passages, specifically from uh, the book of Genesis. We've also seen some from the book of Jeremiah. Last week we looked at the book of Numbers, chapter 24, and today we're going to look at a couple of texts from the book of Isaiah. If you want to be turning in your Bible to chapter 7, that's where we'll start. You've probably heard these these accounts before in Isaiah. I'm pretty confident that you will have heard these. Besides the accounts from the Gospels, this is probably the most popular kind of text that's read around Christmas time. In fact, the Gospel writers quote Isaiah more than any other Old Testament prophet. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they quote from the book of Isaiah more than any other Old Testament prophet. And before we read from Isaiah, I just kind of want to get on the same page as who Isaiah is. And we know he's one of the major prophets. There, He's got a long book that's that he's written. But here's a, a couple of things that we do know. We don't know a ton about Isaiah the prophet, but we do know a few things. Number one is that he, he was married. He had sons. They're mentioned throughout the book. It's very likely that Isaiah was a priest. He was called by God while he was in a temple. A temple is usually a place that was reserved for priests. The prophet Micah was a contemporary of Isaiah. So he was another Old Testament. He was a minor prophet, but he was a contemporary of Isaiah. So he and Isaiah preached and prophesied around the same time, and they both served the southern kingdom of Judah. They both served the southern kingdom of Judah at a time when it was really rebellious and sinful. And they served while a king named Ahaz was on the throne. We'll talk about Ahaz more in just a moment. The good news is, in the story of Isaiah, that with support from Micah and from one of Ahaz's sons who sat on the throne, Hezekiah, revival swept through Judah. And Isaiah saw it. He worked tirelessly to point people back to God, to turn people back to the one true God. And so in the process of Isaiah and his efforts... He reveals shadows of the Savior hundreds of years before the birth of Christ. And so we want to look at one of those this morning in Isaiah chapter 7, specifically verse 14. Let's read that together and have a word of prayer. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Father, uh, we thank you that we have celebrated your birth this time of year. Lord, many of us gathered around maybe our Christmas trees. We've gathered around our, our tables with family and friends this season, this holiday. And we have thought deeply about your advent, about your first coming. We're so thankful that we get to celebrate this. Lord, you didn't, you didn't come with a bunch of fanfare and a bunch of streamers and lights and fireworks and you didn't come the way that they would have expected a king to come. You came very humbly, and in doing so, Lord, you showed us your real nature, that you've come not to be served, but to serve. And you've called your people to be the same way. So, Lord, I, I would pray that as we hear from your word this morning that, God, we would be encouraged and challenged to serve, just as Christ did, that we would be encouraged to be the light as he is the light. Lord, we thank you that you took the initiative in giving a sign. And we thank you for what the sign was. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So the king, as I mentioned before, the king at the time who sat on the throne, his name was Ahaz. Okay, he was not a good king. There's a, there's a, a situation that I want to reference back to in chapter 7. You can kind of skim through that as we talk. Um, but it kind of shows his cowardice. It shows actually his superstition, um, the fact that he encouraged wor- worship of other gods. Uh, in fact, I, I read one commentator this week who said, really the best thing that Ahaz did was had a son named Hezekiah. That was the best thing that he did. And because Hezekiah sat on the throne and he would become a good king after Ahaz. So at this time, though, uh, the northern kingdom of Israel had joined forces with Syria and they were planning to attack Judah. So not a good situation for the people of God, specifically for Judah. And Ahaz was the king of Judah. And so he knew that this conspiracy was happening and he was afraid. He was scared. Isaiah is sent to Ahaz in chapter 7 of Isaiah to challenge him to believe God and to obey God. Despite the coming possible war, Isaiah's message was to trust in the Lord, to believe God. Look at verse 11 of chapter 7. This is what God spoke to Ahaz through Isaiah. He said, ask a sign of the Lord, your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven, as verse 11. So God actually invites Ahaz to test him, to put God to the test. Ask me for a sign, he says, so that the Lord could prove his faithfulness. Now, if you look at verse 12, you might think Ahaz's answer kind of sounds spiritual. Look at what he says. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. So he says, God says, go ahead and test me. Ask whatever you want. And Ahaz says, no, I'm not going to do that. I can't, I can't put God to the test. And again, that sounds kind of spiritual on the surface, but I think when we understand who Ahaz was and more of the story and his character, that wasn't the reason. It wasn't because he really respected and revered God enough to not ask him for a sign. It's very likely that he refused to ask for a sign because he kind of knew that God would do it. And then he knew he would going to have to obey. And he didn't want to have to do that. He would, didn't want to be obligated to believe God. And I think 13, verse 13 of chapter 7 kind of bears this idea out. It says, uh, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? So Isaiah can recognize, like, this answer is not a, a godly answer from a godly man. He's just wearing God out. He's just wearying him, and it's not a good idea. Ahaz's response wearied the Lord. It irritated him. Another version of that word says it disgusted him. It grieved the Lord. He wasn't going to ask God for a sign because that would prove God's faithfulness. So what did God do? Well, he took matters into his own hands. He said he would choose the sign. This is what, look at verse 14 again. That's what he starts off. He says, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Okay, Ahaz, you're not going to believe me. You're not going to prove me to yourself and to the people. Then I'll do it. I'll take it on myself. So we can connect the dots here pretty easily. Because like I said, this is a pretty well-quoted verse around Christmas time. But think about this. Kids, this is what Pastor Jason asked you to listen for. The sign of God's power and faithfulness to his people would be that he himself would come to earth and be born in the likeness of man. 
That was the sign. Look at what he says in verse 14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. Well, we've talked about this before. Kids, what does Emmanuel mean? It means God with us. That was the sign. That was the sign, God says, through Isaiah. A virgin would conceive. A woman who had never been with a man in a sexual way was going to have a baby miraculously, and they were supposed to name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. But Isaiah doesn't stop there. Flip over to chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. Now, there's a lot in this ver- this chapter, but I specifically want to hone in on verses 6 and 7. You've heard this before as well. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, we have had a couple of babies born in our church family recently. Many of you have had kids before. When you have a child, what oftentimes do you send out to let people know that you've had a child? A birth announcement, right? Now, we don't do that a whole lot anymore because of Facebook and, you know, so we can just kind of send out pictures pretty quickly. But a lot of times we would send out birth announcements. When are they usually sent out? After the baby's born, right? This was a birth announcement that was sent out 700 years early. The people of God were facing just multiple threats, on, on a lot of different levels. From inside, you could see Israel's wanting to attack Judah, northern versus southern kingdoms. There was uh, threats from the outside. Uh, in, in fact, in, in chapter 8 of Isaiah, he prophesied about the coming invasion from Assyria. And so God's message through Isaiah was the promise of a future king who was going to rule in righteousness and justice and who was going to sit on the throne not just until he died, but who's going to sit on the throne forever. This was the prophecy that God gave his people through Isaiah. And Isaiah is describing, in fact, a miraculous birth here, for sure. I mean, he was going to be born of a virgin, right? But he's also describing a royal birth. Not just miraculous, but he's describing a royal birth. What does he say here? The government, look at verse 7, the government Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. If you read through the birth story on Christmas with your family, Luke 1 records angel Gabriel's conversation with Mary. Let me just remind us of how that went. He was talking to him about talking to her about this boy that she would have miraculously. And Gabriel says that he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord will give him, give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. These sound really similar, don't they? So we, we know the story. I mentioned it already. When Christ came, they didn't clear out the best room in the palace for Mary and Joseph, did they? No, they put up the sign, no more room. Go, keep going. Can't stay here. It wasn't with a lot of fanfare. 
Mary was forced to deliver in a manger, right by where the cows deliver their babies, right by where the sheep are sleeping. It sure didn't seem like a royal birth at the time that night, but make no mistake, this baby born in very meager circumstances, he would rule. And that was foreshadowed. If you think about the gifts of the wise men, when they came and visited him, visited him, they brought gifts that signified that he would rule. And for Isaiah, one name for this baby wasn't good enough. So how many names does he, does he share in verse, in verse eight? He gives him four names. He lists four different names that describe all of who this child would be. Now, this isn't the main focus of what I want to share this morning. So I just want to briefly kind of go through these names and explain what this child will do and who he will be. The first name that's mentioned is Wonderful Counselor. Jesus will be a supernatural source of extraordinary wisdom. Even wiser than Solomon. This would be amazing news for people who needed some guidance, who needed some wisdom. The second name is Mighty God. Jesus will be divinely strong and powerful, mighty like God is. This is amazing news for people who are considered small and weak like Israel was. Third name is Everlasting Father. Jesus is going to care for his people forever, just like a father cares for his children. Dads who've had kids grown and move out, you don't stop being a dad when your kids are no longer in the house, right? You continue being a father and caring for them, maybe in a slightly different way, but you still love them just as much as when they were little growing up in the house. Everlasting Father. This is amazing news for people who felt alone, for people who felt like no one saw them. They had a father who loved and saw them. The fourth name was Prince of Peace. Jesus will bring unexplainable comfort and right relationships, both with God and with one another here on this earth. This is amazing news for all of us who lack peace, both peace with God and with peace with one another. This is who Jesus would come to be. Now, there's something else that's unique and special here. These names that we just went through, these names of this future king are also names that are associated with God himself. Especially in Bible times, you'll remember, names were really important, right? They had a lot of meaning. It kind of revealed the person's identity. Names were given to children and you can kind of see through Scripture that they kind of grew into those names, if you will. Well, these names given to the promised child function the same way. Isaiah and other Old Testament writers each use these names to describe who the Lord is. You can kind of see these in a box in your notes. just want to run through them really quickly. Wonderful Counselor says in Isaiah chapter 28, 29, it says, He is wonderful in counsel, talking about the Lord God. In Isaiah 25, verse 1, it says that the Lord has done wonderful things. In Isaiah chapter 10, verse 21, the same title is used of God himself, Mighty God. It's also the name given to the Messiah. In Isaiah 63, verse 16, God is called the Father of his people, and only an eternal God can be an eternal Father. And so this is reference to God himself as well. Over in Judges chapter 6, verse 24, Gideon describes God as a Lord of peace. He says, the Lord is peace. 
He's our Prince of Peace. So then Isaiah goes so far as to guarantee that everything he's just said, 700 years before the birth of Christ, he guarantees that these things are going to happen. How can a guy be so confident in what he's saying? He would never in his lifetime even get close to seeing these things play out. How could he be so confident? Look at the end of what we read in verse 7. He says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God's passion, God's wisdom, God's power would accomplish this. This child would be born and this son will be given on the basis of God's own zealous commitment to fulfilling his purposes for his people. That's how Isaiah could be confident in this. Wouldn't you know it? Isaiah was right, wasn't he? God delivered on this promise 700 years later. Jesus was born of a virgin and he fulfilled every promise Isaiah announced he fulfilled every promise every Old Testament author gave. God was born and walked among us in the person of Jesus. We've talked about this before, that he came in the flesh. He came to give us wisdom, to protect us, to give us care, and to be our peace. And all of that happens when we enter into a relationship with him. He becomes all of those things, wonderful, counselor, Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There's one more short verse I want to look at and point out before we finish this morning. Flip back to chapter 9, verse 2. Now, if you even look a little bit, a little bit further back at the end of chapter 8, God warned Isaiah not to walk in the wicked ways of the people of Judah. Ahaz was not a good king. He was not leading the people in right ways. And God said, don't follow those ways. Don't do this. He says, don't fear what they fear. Don't dread what they dread. Instead, he says, fear God alone. So he is told to fear something, just not the same thing that unbelievers are fearing. He tells Isaiah that he should honor the Lord of hosts alone as holy. And he tells Isaiah that the people are going to have trouble. Look at the last verse of chapter 8. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Not a great prophecy. Can you imagine being in Judah when you hear this? Not a lot of uh, excitement coming from the people here. And this is how the last chapter ends. This is how chapter 8 finishes. In thick darkness, in gloom and distress Chapter 9 continues with this idea, but it's turned completely around. Look at what it says in verse 9, 1 and 2. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea and the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. And listen to verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them the light shined. See, it's the same idea, but it's totally different. It's the the other side of the coin. It's true. The Assyrians were coming. He had just talked about this. That's kind of this darkness that was coming. There were enemies that were going to come, and they were going to invade Israel, and they were going to come from the north. And they were going to put them into captivity and it would be particularly hard for those northern tribes of Israel. 
they would indeed be thrust into thick darkness. But then Isaiah says, God in his mercy is going to show them, they would see maybe even first the light of the Messiah. That land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations, they would be the first to see the light. Look at it another way. Let's turn it on, that light onto us this morning. Think about your own life prior to conversion, prior to being saved. You're in a, a state of thick darkness, aren't you? That describes us really well. Behold, distress and darkness, gloom of anguish, thrust into thick dark. That's us, isn't it? Closed off to the truth, not able to see the light because of pride, because of unbelief, because of sin. In fact, we don't even see the reality of our sin. We don't see the kind of darkness that we're really even in. We don't see the danger that we've been exposed to because of our sin. We're blind to the grace of God and to the truth and light of the gospel. Spiritually speaking, without the light of Christ, we are all in the dark. Every one of us is dwelling in darkness. We have no desire to read the word, much less understand it. We have no desire to do good as just a simple act of obedience. Maybe people do good to get something, to earn a good reputation, but we don't do good just because we ought to. We're walking straight ahead in our darkness, unaware that we're in darkness, unaware that we need to be saved from this. We don't know who we are. We don't know where we are. We don't know where we're going in this darkness until the light of Christ appears. Just like it did in verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have what? Seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them the light has shined. By the mercy and grace of God, that's how we see the fact that we walk in darkness. The light has come. You guys have been in a dark room before. You just light a match. You just turn on a light and instantly that darkness is gone. There's light and it dispels the darkness. This is what our life is like when Christ enters in. What a a beautiful picture of this. And so the question is, have you seen the light? Have you, are you walking in the light? Or does Isaiah chapter eight, verse 22 describe you better? Distress. Darkness, gloom, thick darkness. Does that describe the year 2021 for you, maybe? Darkness, despair, gloom. Maybe that's all you hope or all you can see, rather, for 2022. Maybe things just don't seem like they're going to change. Well, the truth, of the reality of the gospel message is that it can and it will Those who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them the light has shined. Your life in 2021, guys, doesn't have to be darkness. It doesn't have to be gloom. It doesn't have to follow maybe the same trend that 2021 had. Because look at what he says. He says, for unto you a child is given. Unto you a son is born. The promised Messiah has come, and he's come into our world. He's come not to condemn you. He's come to save you. Turn your eyes upon Jesus and be saved today. That's how 2022 starts fresh. That's how we start fresh as believers, is we don't look to all the things that we can make a change in. We look to what God has already done for us in Christ. 
May that be where our, our focus is fixed as we go into this new year. That we would be encouraged to walk deeper with Him. To reach out in deeper ways to our brothers and sisters in Christ in our community and in our church. That He might be glorified. And I so appreciate the text that was read during our worship time. That we might stir one another up more to love and good works as we see the day appearing. Brothers and sisters, we don't know when that day is, when Jesus comes in his second advent. And so what we have been challenged to do is to continue to stir up one another to love and good works. May we do that in even greater measure in 2022. Let's pray. Lord, I know that there are times in my life where I, I feel like I'm just walking in darkness. I feel like it's this cloud of gloom is overhead and, and we, I can't seem to, to find a way out. I can't seem to see that, that light, that light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe some listening today can identify with that, can f- feel the same way. But Lord, we've got, we've got assurance here. Prophesied centuries before you were even born that Jesus was going to come, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us here, And he was going to spread the light. He would be the light that shines in the land of deep darkness. Lord, I pray that many might see a great light in 2022. Lord, I pray this year would be a year like we've never known before. Lord, not necessarily in in ways that um, might make it easier for us here on this earth as far as finances or what have you. Lord, but I pray that this would be a year like we've never seen your spirit poured out on your people, poured out on us. God, may we be catalysts of your love, of your spirit, to the community around us, to our family and our homes, to our church body whom we love. Lord, may we see Jesus in one another in greater measure in this year. Lord, thank you that the light of Christ has dawned. We don't have to walk around in gloom and darkness anymore. Lord, thank you that you have come and dispelled the darkness by your life, by your ministry. And now, Lord, you live in your people. May that be something that we shout from the rooftops. Lord, from the top of every mountain, that you have come and you have made a way for us to be right with you. Thank you for Jesus, Lord. Thank you that all we do is turn our eyes, look to the cross, look to the Son, and believe, and we will be saved. You will not turn us away. Thank you so much for Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.